Darkcast Network. Welcome to the Dark Side of Podcast. If your mind, body, and soul are not healed, there can be no justice. Hello and welcome to Crime Connections Podcast. My name is Tiffany and I am your host. And I'm here today with Rachel Robinson, former prosecutor. You did that for four years before opening your own firm, The Ray of Justice. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me tonight. (laughs) Oh my God. I'm so happy to have you. I love what you're doing. I... Love it too, most of the time. Sometimes it's very difficult. I mean, even as a prosecutor, you know, I'm exposed to a lot of terrible things that people do to each other. And now working in victim rights law, obviously, definitely still seeing the the really messed up things that people do to each other um, and trying to get justice for my clients. So, yeah. Yeah, but I love that. I don't know how many people can see the injustice that's happening in the courtroom and decide, you know what? I don't want to do this shit no more. I want to actually protect these people. That's just amazing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was a pretty organic transition for me being a district, being a prosecutor, also known as a deputy district attorney in Colorado. I, uh, I had to learn the victim rights laws that we have in Colorado and make sure that I was following them when I would engage with crime victims. And so going into my own practice, I definitely understood that they don't have a strong voice in the system. They're not parties to the case. And these laws that dictate how they should be treated are pretty new. And there's just not any attorneys really enforcing them. And, uh, and so it was pretty natural for me to become that guide for people who are needing to understand the criminal justice system and make sure that their rights are upheld and their voices are heard. Absolutely. I feel like the laws just, they haven't caught up to all the craziness that's out there. Like they're so far behind schedule. I don't know about in Colorado. Do you feel like they're... They're a little bit more up to date. I know here in Florida, like we're in dinosaur age. (laughs) Colorado is definitely one of those states that is a trendsetter when it comes to new laws uh, and in doing things. Colorado is one of the first states to enshrine victim rights in its constitution. Last spring, it became the first state to really uh, require in the family law side for judges to understand victim dynamics. There are three laws that were passed last spring that I hope will be sort of flagships for what other states will do so that family courts are understanding criminal, uh, you know, cases and the DV and child abuse dynamics and the consequences of family law judges not holding people accountable and keeping children and, and victims safe on the family law side. So Colorado is uh, a bit of a trendsetter in a lot of ways. And and those are a few examples. No, I love that. That is amazing. I think every state should do that. I've said that on like other podcasts of mine that I feel that certain states obviously have certain laws, things that happen in that state, people 
you know, go to their legislator, they get laws passed. I think those should be like national because why do you have to wait for something to happen in your state to have the same rights? Yeah, it's difficult. I mean, the federal government really has limited powers to impose its laws on states. And that's just based on the way our constitution is written. Uh, the best thing we can hope for is like states do these things and they kind of become the the labs, the the legal labs for what's going on. And then when it works in one state, then other states will follow suit. Another way that it can kind of happen faster is um, as cases come up in other states, they can always use decisions made in a higher court in a different state as persuasive to force their courts to kind of rule in a similar way to help, you know, flush out the laws and have them interpreted in a way that's more humane or whatever the goal is of that attorney. Um, but it also gives a lot of legal leg to stand on for legislators to say, well, hey, Colorado did it. It's working. This is what we're going to do. And also as an example, a lighthouse in a way for other populations to learn about it and say this, there is another way we can do this and then bring it to the legislature so that they then have the, you know, political leg to stand on to say, well, my population wants this. I'm going to create a law that emulates what they're seeing elsewhere that they like. And and hopefully do it. But yeah, it's difficult to do things on a nationwide basis because while we're one country, we actually, every state has its own legal systems and governments. And I think there's like 500 governments in the United States. Like there's not, you know, and they all have their power over their domain where they are. And then the federal government is more limited um, in what it can do or force states to do. That's difficult sometimes. That is way too damn many. <laughs> like way too damn many. <laughs> well, it goes for, you know, it goes from federal and then it goes to every town and township and, you know, suburb and all these governments just trying to figure it out for their people. So, yeah. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> all right. Yeah, that's going to be a big, uh, big undertaking right there. But you know what? I'm up for the challenge. It might take a while, but. It needs to be done. I mean, they're in place for a reason. And these things happen in more than one state. There's crazy people in every state, every country. Absolutely. I mean, luckily now every state does have victim rights laws. They just are not always enshrined in the Constitution and they might be enforced in different ways. So, for example, you know, Colorado has its Department of uh, criminal justice that will, you know, investigate victim rights complaints and can hold people accountable. The attorney general can even get involved when it's really severe. And we did have a situation last summer, summer 2022, where the, uh, you know, the the attorney general got involved and found that there was one in particular prosecutor, elected prosecutor, whose office was not upholding victim rights. And uh, and so they they said, we're going to put in place all of the, the different you know rules and actions that you have to take to get in compliance with the Victim Rights Act. And in the midst of that investigation, that elected district attorney resigned from his position. And then he was subsequently uh, found um, to be violating codes of ethics. And so he was disbarred. So there are some harsh consequences if a prosecutor does not follow the Victim Rights Act, at least in Colorado. 
other states may not have a similar sort of mechanism to enforce it, which is why I believe it's important for more attorneys to be getting ahead of it and really helping victims ensure that their rights are upheld before there are violations so that we can prevent having to have them re-traumatized by the system, particularly if it's in a state that doesn't have a strong mechanisms to uphold and enforce their rights in the aftermath of a violation. Amen, sister. (laughs) I'm saying, I love what you guys are doing up there. That is just amazing. I'm glad that they hold them accountable. I see so many stories about just shady shit and it's like swept under the rug or it's like slap on the wrist and then they're back at it a month or two later. And it's like, no, we're not, we're not doing that. But was there like a certain case or anything that pushed you towards this way? Or was it just repetitive? Like you kept seeing the same shit with the same outcome. Well, I mean, as a prosecutor, you know, I would obviously have to engage with victims. And one of the first questions they would ask me is, do I need a lawyer for this? And that comes from them maybe not understanding the difference between civil law, where you'll have a plaintiff to a case versus another versus a defendant. So it's two people against each other. But under criminal law, it's the state versus the person who committed the crime. And so the victim's like, well, do I need a lawyer? And I'm like, well, it might be helpful, but there are none. There, there aren't, there were none. And so, um, you know, I did, there was no one for me to send them to. And then as I, you know, just people get to know me in the community, I have friends and neighbors, they would have people who became victims of crimes, or they used to be victims of crimes. And they started asking me as a prosecutor, like, what does this mean? What's going on? Can you help me understand the system? And, and I would, and I couldn't represent them directly. But I would just kind of give them guidance. And then when I left the DA's office, those were still the people who were like, okay, now you can represent me. Can you please just take my case? And so, yeah, so I was like, okay. So I became a victim rights attorney. And and in Colorado, uniquely, victims do have a right to appoint a legal representative. And that can be an attorney. Uh, Some states don't have that as clearly delineated in their victim rights laws, but that doesn't mean that they couldn't have an attorney speaking for them. Anyone can retain an attorney for anything they want, and that would have to be respected. But Colorado is a bit unique in that they have, you know, literally, a, you know, clause in the statute that says that a victim can appoint a legal representative. It could be another family member, but it can also obviously be an attorney. So we have that right. And so I just started doing it. And, um, and I, would be, I'm kind of creating the way that this advocacy looks as I go along. And it spans from, you know, taking cases before they're even filed and helping clients understand what is relevant evidence. How do we bring this information to detectives and prosecutors in a way that they can take it seriously and get charges filed where appropriate all the way through, um, you know, the sentencing and making sure that their voice is heard through that and, and the judges uh, are, are are taking into account what the victim wants in the situation, even if it's different than what a prosecutor might be recommending. And so just having that that extra voice and that attorney who can enter on the case and really make sure that their rights are heard has been uh, particularly valuable to prevent victim rights violations in the first place. Yeah. Good for you. So you must be really busy. <laughs> If you're like the only one, <laughs> you know, 
So what's interesting, because my law firm, I it's a holistic law firm. It's the Ray of Justice, Legal Services, and Holistic Care. And I very much, you know, instill in my clients and uh, to do self-care and to make sure that you're always given to yourself before you're given to others. And I've embedded that into the way that I practice law. So I keep my caseload pretty low. I have a network of other nonprofits and things that can support people, but I don't overburden myself. And um, and one of the things I'm looking for is to hire, okay, to hire contract attorneys and then, you know, eventually full-time attorneys as I teach them how to do this type of advocacy so that I'm keeping my caseload at a level that's healthy for me, that I can hold the proper space for everyone. And, um, and for the people that I maybe cannot take on, I still provide a bit of guidance like I did before as a DA, like I might not take your case, but I can do what I call the legal concierge service where I'm advising them as they move along and helping them understand what's going on and connecting them to the resources that they need. Now, if I see a blatant, you know, need for me to step in, then I can take the case and, and do that. But that's because for the most part, I determine which cases need that stronger voice and which ones can I advise from a distance and make sure they're understanding what's going on. Maybe I'll attend, you know, a few meetings with them and the prosecutor, them and the detective, make sure that there's clarity. The prosecutor and the detectives know that this is how to reach the victim. This is what they're asking for. This is how they want to be communicated with. And then I'm just sort of in the background as needed through the legal concierge membership. Um, And then, you know, kind of keep it selective as far as the direct representation, just to keep it healthy for myself and kind of grow at a steady pace and not, uh, and not ever kind of get burnt out. I got to watch that because there's not many of us. And if I'm not protecting my own mental health and my own, you know, self, I'm not, and I'm also not modeling for my clients what self-care really looks like. So having some of those boundaries. And that's actually why I, I, I started doing the holistic side of things. I mean, it's, it's difficult to draw boundaries with clients when you feel so strongly about their cases and having been a victim myself, I identify with them so much. And so I saw pretty quickly and early on that they would come to me for more than just the law. They would come to me for like life guidance or coaching. And and I can do that a little bit, but I I have to draw the boundary. So what I did was I enlisted and I, I continued to recruit different certified professional wellness coaches and and healers and therapists to um, have pre-recorded fireside chats with me about what they do, uh, what are different tools that my clients can add to their resiliency tool belt. And and I, I put one out every month. And so my clients get access to see the people who can actually guide them on their healing side of the journey and that allows me to be the lawyer side of the journey and um, and helps empower them in that way. I love that. Thanks. <laughs> I think I told you I started a nonprofit called The Crime Connection. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do is get people the help they need by matching them with people who deal with it, whether it's sexual assault, whether it was you know, um, childhood trauma, whether it was an attack, there's certain people that will do all these different modalities out there that can help you give you the tools and the resources. 
And I want to be that person to be like, here, try this. And at no cost to them, that way they can try it and see if it works for them. Because I feel like more people are going to be willing to try something. They don't have to pay for it to see what the outcome might be. I agree. I mean, it's, it's more, it's because of the risk involved. And typically when people have been through trauma and crimes and stuff, and they've endured different types of abuse, including financial abuse, and say they're like leaving an abusive situation, they don't have a lot of money to date every therapist that could, and that's what it is. It's like dating. You have to go to different people see if they fit you, see if you like this modality, see if you like this or that. So similar concept is like, I'll just, you know, we're bringing it to them, letting them see what there, what there is. And if they resonate with someone, um, then they can, they can follow up with them and, and pursue it that way. But they're getting value immediately by having the basic understanding of the different modalities that the person implement. They're leaving with like breath, breathing exercises. They're leaving with emotion wheels. What are you going to work with your traumatized children? Let's talk about their emotions. There's different tools that they can use, right? Um, and I think it's really important. I mean, not only the money though, but it's also just when people go through trauma, decision-making becomes very difficult. And so having to choose from like a list of people who can maybe help them is impossible. And I saw that as a prosecutor because the, the office will provide a list of, here's a potential list of therapists and we'll pay for some of it. And and, you know, the victim's compensation fund will pay for some of it. And they handed this list of piece of paper. And I just was noticing, like, none of them were using it. But it's because how, they don't know. It's a name on a piece of paper. You know, it doesn't mean anything. And, and so why not just give them the buffet of the types of providers, just show them what they're doing. So I love that you're doing that, too. And, I, and I'm, I'm happy to add to that resource for your for your constituents because, that's exactly what we need. We need more people just showing what they're doing and making it easy decision. You just watch it. You listen to it. You, if you learn something from someone and you resonate with their personality, you know, that's your guide, you know, that's your person. And then they can easily make that choice. So it's not so confusing. Oh yeah. And I mean, some of these people are still living in the fear. You know, if you are being abused at home and you want to leave, but you're trying to get your stuff right before you leave. You don't have time to be calling all these people trying to find out when you can be seen, how this, that, like you just, you don't have that. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it's difficult to try to negotiate that while trying to escape safely. Yes. Sure. If you like weird, spooky, and strange history, then I have the podcast for you. My name is Brenda, and I'm the host of Horrifying History. Are you into the dark side of history? Horrifying History tells you about the side of history that people don't normally talk about. We tell the tales of haunted places, infamous true crimes, the paranormal and unsolved mysteries, and then we look to history to see where the truth actually lies. Want to get spooky with us? Get your horrifying history fix by subscribing today on your favorite podcast provider or by going to our website at horrifyinghistory.podbean.com. I love that. So you have the healing portal. Yeah. <laughs> Is that where the videos are? Is Tell mm -hmm. us about the healing portal. That just, I don't know why that just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> so my healing portal, you can join and be a member on through my website, 
And um, I also, it's also on YouTube. So I also have the videos on there. I recently made them 100% public as far as the fireside chats that I have with the different providers. I just had so many requests for that. Like people who don't necessarily need legal services or need to, you know, and I said, you know, why gatekeep? This is people need healing regardless what phase they are in their lives. And this just needs to reach as many people as possible. So you can go to my um, YouTube and you can find the healing portal uh, playlist and then um, also the membership through my website. And so what I'll be doing on the website that's going to differentiate a little bit is adding a bit more of educational videos having to do specifically with victim rights, since that's where my clients will be and just educating them on criminal law, who, who are the actors who, what are their roles? You know, what are police supposed to do? What are prosecutors supposed to do? Just basic civics. I've noticed people don't always know our education system is not the best with that. Um, I also have a a short video on YouTube right now that just teaches the basics of criminal law and then victim rights within it, but just building upon those different, uh, levels and different things. I'll be adding that to the membership in my in my portal on the website. Uh, but right now all the videos are available pretty publicly at this time. And, and anyone can go and, and just watch and just see what resonates and you know, kind of learn from that. I have financial advisors on there. I have uh, even a woman who does Yanni steaming. So like feminine, organic and holistic care. Um, and then of course, surviving narcissistic abuse. Um, there's my latest episode was about how to parent, mindfully parent our children, particularly. I got that email. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So that was a really interesting one. Luckily, all I have is plants right now, but one day I might need that information, but I figured everyone else would. Most of my, all my clients have children. So I, I, you know, I had to bring her on and that's Christine Bright. So yeah, people can look that up. And so, you know, just the different, just those different topics that holistically will address different aspects of my clients surviving and thriving after crime. Love, love, love that. I'm also a survivor. I I have financial, sexual, mental, emotional, like all of it. You just check, 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 check. So you know the importance that comes with this because all this shit just tears you down and you need to be uplifted again. I mean, there's a reason why we do this. We get it. We've been there. And I think that's the amazing part of it is obviously we must've rose high enough to where, you know, our vibrations are like, okay, we're like somewhat normal. Let's help others. (laughs) Yeah, maybe. I don't know. You know, there's this, there's this theory. I don't think it's a theory. I think it's a, it's a proven thing as a prosecutor, as any law enforcement, or even just a term, any doctors probably experience it too, of course, vicarious trauma, right? So when we're working with traumatized populations, we can vicariously take on that trauma just because as a human observing the pain of others, we're going to feel that especially when we're in, like I said, we're in the helping professions. We are holding people through that. And I wonder how much of me doing this is hoping to get like a vicarious healing. I don't know. <laughs> I might not be fully healed at all. I'm probably a mess, but I'm vicariously 
healing by providing the healing for everyone else. So I don't know. Well, I mean, I don't think anyone's ever completely healed. It's it's a journey lifelong, but we got to a point where we're like, I, I ain't that broken no more. So, you know. Yeah, that's true. I mean, being able to, to hold the space for others and, and be somewhat of a guide. Yeah, that's true. You do have to get to a certain point of resiliency. And then it also helps to like, because we've been through that phase, we know what helped us. And that's really how I chose all of the providers and continue to choose people is like, okay, I actually did these modalities on my healing journeys. I'm doing them now. And so I want to bring in these people to share with others because they happen to have helped me. And so, yeah, I think it's true. We're, we're at one phase in the healing journey. We're not completely ever done, right? But we've picked up some tools and wisdom that we can hand back to others and, and get them, get them where they need to be. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> Absolutely. Can I ask you what modalities have worked for you? I like the, uh, so what, so I had a therapist and she did a, uh, the, she did a, the tapping like bilateral stimulation of cognitive behavioral therapies. And so there's like bilateral stimulations with that. I've done the EMDR where like the eye movement thing, but that's also like bilateral stimulation. Um, I had a guest that she writes um, heart centered letters for people and her. And so she does that and they don't always have to be sent off to people that have hurt, you know, whatever, but she's used these heart centered letters to like, help people express from their higher selves, like what they experienced in a non-accusatory way. And it can heal relationships. It can also be a a complete closure to a relationship, whatever. Right. And so that type of writing has been helpful for me. Sometimes you never send the letter, you never send it at all, but the journaling of it, the, the articulating of it in a loving way to release things has been helpful. It's a lot of, and then spiritual practices, I think. And I don't necessarily have a lot of people who talk about their spiritual practices on the, on the podcast or anything on my healing sessions. But I will say that I think, um, any sort of just reliance on understanding our own being able to become the observer. I think Buddhism talks about it the best, like meditations, becoming the observer, separating from being in the moment of the, of what's going on and looking and zooming out and seeing the bigger picture. So some of those principles are really helpful meditations and mindfulness practices. So those have been um, very helpful for me. Have you done any burning of letters? Like oh, you write yeah. something? <laughs> yeah, just like, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Very, all those rich, like the very ritualistic. Yeah. Because it's, um, you know, you got to release. You got to release. And that's a very clean and it's fire is interesting because it's, it's violent and it's also pure at the same time. It is kind and, of beautiful right. it, when you look at it at a certain angle, obviously. <laughs> right. It's like you are, it's, it's getting rid of the things, but then it's purifying. It's a pure way to release things. You know, releasing is a big part of healing, I think. And that's what I found in, in a lot of what I have to teach my clients to do. I mean, when I'm coming to them as their attorney, I am needing them to be able to zoom out and think a bit more strategically than they would when they're deep in their emotions. And that's why I, I want them to have the healing and those different 
resiliency, you know, tools, because if they're too deep into the emotions of it, they follow their abuser down that rabbit hole and they are completely in that abuser's control. And so a lot of the healing really is around retaking your power back, understanding the dynamics that are going on so that we don't fall prey to them and they can think strategically and help me advocate for them better uh, than if they were really caught up in the emotions of the situation. Well, yeah, I mean, obviously emotions can get the best out of anybody. And if you're not thinking clearly, you're, you're really not in it. And once you get to that point where you know there's an issue, because sometimes, you know, you're going to be gaslit and they're going to be like, it's your issue. It's not mine. You know, like your, your abuser is going to tell you it's you. It's not them. And sometimes you believe it. So it's hard to try to get help, but then to also be second guessing yourself on, but wait, is it me or is it them? Yeah. And sadly enough, these family law courts will also have you second guessing and thinking it's, you know, they will, they have come up with this now debunked term parent, like uh, paternal alienation, where they're saying, oh, mothers are trying to alienate their children from their fathers. And, and this is something that they've weaponized against women who have been abused and who are trying to protect their children from abuse. And it is a, it's the family law system, like gaslighting systemically, domestic violence and child abuse survivors. And so, you know, that's another that's another place where I come in and where the healing comes in. It's like sometimes I, fi- I feel that I'm not just fortifying them to deal with their abuser because they've escaped. They're out of that. So it, that's that's a bit easier but I'm also fortifying them to go up against this system that is going to pretend or maybe genuinely doesn't understand DV dynamics and child abuse and the detrimental effects that insisting cooperation at a time when we need accountability is so damaging to families, to women and their children. So I'm fortifying them for that fight as well. Um, And that, that's the very saddest gaslight. I don't even, you know, that's systemic. That's a whole entire legal system that we should be able to rely on forcing women and children to second guess what they know they need, the reprieve, the peace, the healing that they need and forcing them to continue to engage with the cause of their distress, which is the abusive ex or other parent. Well, yeah, if I know what he did to me, what makes you think he's not going to do this to my child? You know, exactly. you already know this is in them. Right. So how do you know they're not going to get back at you and do something? You know, it's just, you go down that rabbit hole, but it's just so unfortunate. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. So before you actually like take on a client, do you have them do healing first? before you kind of move towards the courtroom or how to, what's your flow? (laughs) (laughs) Well, people, you know, they find me and sometimes they don't know if they 
if they're ready yet. So they automatically just get added to my email list. They get the emails with, like you saw with the healing portal and that. And, and I've had people where it took them a few months and they were shopping around for attorneys and somehow they came upon me, whether it's my TikTok or YouTube or uh, one of the nonprofits that I partner with. And they, um, and so they'll join my email list while they're still like figuring out the timing for them or which attorneys to go with. And then they just would have seen enough and they're like, this is the, this is the attorney for me and they'll reach out. And then, you know, we do a consultation and if it's a case I can take on, I take on, if it's something that I think would be more appropriate, you know, I just triage it and then I'll take them on. Um, and then if they find me first and don't know about the healing portal or my TikToks or anything, then they automatically get added to the list after retaining me and and now they're getting access to that to utilize as they as needed as they like to but it's not a prerequisite it's not something i force on them either i think one of the biggest things is autonomy when we're victimized we lose our autonomy we lose you know that's the biggest aspect of abuse that is painful i mean being beat up and and bruised up is painful uh, but, you know, psychologists and, and, and social work and sociologists have said, like, actually, the most damaging part of abuse is the loss of autonomy. And it's the the feelings, the intentions that go behind the beatings, which is complete control over you, you, you know, the victim, they don't get a say in their life. And that is, that is the most detrimental thing. So I don't have these type of prerequisites. I also don't do like a hard sell. Uh, people consult with me and I tell them, you know, what I can offer, what I think there is. And they're like, I'm going to think about it. And I might feel like time is of the essence. I need to get on your case. Now, I will never pressure them, right? Like, I will be like, well, you know where to find me when you're ready, okay? And um, and they circle back around. And if I can help then, and, I, and I can, there's usually still an issue I can help with. So I help them then, right? Like, I meet them where they are. Um, but, yeah, there's no there's no prerequisite of that. It's a, it's a service. It's a benefit that they can take advantage of as much or as little as they're prepared to. Now that's, that's good. But I mean, I do think it's so important that people realize like, just because if you win in court, that doesn't mean it's over. Like it's internal work that you have to do yourself because even after you're out of that, you're still held in that personal prison and it's literally learning to relove yourself again and to rewire everything that they told you that you're not and everything that they called you, you know, like I was always told I was ugly, fat and gross. So, you know, I took a pretty bad toll on me for a very long time. So it's rewiring the brain and realizing that those were just hurtful words, you know, they're just doing things to hurt you. But at first you're like, holy shit, they're right. You know? Yeah. And I mean, I think it's to hurt you in order to keep you in their under their control. And the reason that they need that is because they are deeply insecure and broken and they don't know how to properly love another person. And, And one of the things that I started telling people, even as a prosecutor, you know, victims of domestic violence and even child abuse is, um, you know, this person loves you. They just don't know how. They love you, but they're doing it wrong. And that, to me, the effect that that had on the way, the, the level of empowerment that, you know, the victims and, and, and people would have 
was different because when we say to someone, oh, they're beating you up, they don't love you. If they're beating you up, if they're trying to control you, they hate you, they don't love you. We actually personalize that. We internalize that as we're not lovable. We internalize that as we're dumb for choosing someone who would do this to us. And so now there's two responses. One, it re-traumatizes us even more, makes us feel less worthy of anything. So, And then number two, if it's someone who, you know, depending on their personality type, they might feel the need to hide it from others and defend their abuser and say, no, he loves me. Like I, Because they're trying to save face. They're trying to prove that, no, I'm lovable. So I don't say that to people. And that's actually how I got out of my domestic violence situation was I realized this guy loves me. Like he's very in love with me. He's upset. He's crazy. He's so he's he's very in love with me, but he's doing it wrong. I don't like how he's doing it. He loves me very much, but he doesn't know how to do it properly because he's broken. And I understand where that comes from. And also understanding where that comes from doesn't mean I have to tolerate it. I can forgive and release him. And, and not tolerate that for me. And so that I think is really important to recognize for people. Like we all don't know how to love others, even when we're trying to do the best we can. And we're not doing it out of like abuse and insecurity. We still mess up and hurt other people and do little mini traumas on people. Like a human's always going to let you down in relationships. But anyway, the bigger point, I don't tell people that their abusers don't love them. I won't do that because, like I said, I know how that gets internalized. And it's also not true. That abuser believes that they love. They believe they're loving that person. They actually do, I believe, most of the time believe that. But they're so broken and insecure and incapable of loving. They don't know what it even means. So they're just doing it wrong. I've never heard it put that way. It's interesting. So I was always like, you don't hurt people like that that you love. But I mean, I get that here and there, like we do it unintentionally, but sometimes that shit feels a little intentional. <laughs> yeah. So, very interesting way to look at it, though. Some of them are sociopaths. Have- don't get me wrong. Like some are complete sociopaths and don't have like, okay, let me just, let me, let me, <laughs> this isn't all of them. But I'm saying like. A sociopath might, hey, maybe that's their expression of love. And they definitely don't know how. So you you can't, you know what I mean? But the intention is control, power, and self-validation. It's not necessarily to destroy their partner because they're a par- in a lot of ways, it's like a parasite. A parasite can't survive without a host. Okay. So we have these abusers who feed off of the attention, the emotion, the pain, the the ability to control their partner, okay, their prey, their prey. And so destruction of that prey would eliminate the source of all what their power. That's why when women leave these situations, they are in more danger of being killed than if they just stay and and keep being fed off of. It's a parasite. It's a parasitic relationship. So, you know, and so they if they're a complete sociopath and they know what they're doing in the psychopath, they'll use love as a weapon against the woman to get her to stay, et cetera. You know, but it's a very, but if they are just a broken, they might think they're loving this person and they just don't know how they're reacting and all these things. It doesn't mean you tolerate it, but it also doesn't mean that you're not lovable. It means this particular person is manipulating love or is manipulative or has their own issues as to why they're not doing it right. And, and you don't like the way they're doing it. 
No, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Control. That's like the number one thing that they're yeah. after. They feed off that shit. <laughs> yeah. And you know, we define love as an action. There's love has an action. It has a, a way that we, we on a general basis would see how people like should treat others that they love and are doing the action of love, which is the opposite of abuse. Right. So I guess when I'm saying that they loved you, they just didn't know how possession for them is love. Control is the love, like feeding off of that. That's the reassurance that they need because they're so deeply insecure, depending on the type of abuser, you know? So it's for us, yeah, to just, but we never have to tolerate it. Yeah. No, no, no. You need to know your worth and know that you are lovable and that you are beautiful and you're not ugly and gross. <laughs> exactly. exactly. No, they're only saying that because they don't want you to know. They want to hide your light from you. They want to hide your light from you. Yeah. Yes. Never let anyone take your light. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? I guess check out my TikToks. You know, my website has um, also my my website has some videos on there that explain what victim rights law is at least in Colorado and most of all of the states now have created laws that are very similar to what Colorado has. So you can get a general understanding of what victim rights law is. And uh, yeah, if anyone needs support, even if you're not in Colorado, I have the legal concierge service where I can provide general guidance wherever anyone is in the, in the country and also connect them perhaps to attorneys and organizations that can help them get the support that they need in the state that they're in until I'm able to create a battalion of victim rights attorneys there. So I, mean, <laughs> I want to have the next yeah. generation like law students graduating, knowing what victim rights law is and have a whole fleet, you know, have a whole battalion in the country, but it's just, we don't have that yet, but I'm working on it. <laughs> I love that. Can I add you to my website? Yeah, for sure. I'd love that. Awesome. For people who need to, because girl, I just starting. So I'm like trying to boop, 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 boop <laughs> as much as I can, you know, because yeah. I want to be national. I want to help people everywhere. So I think that would yeah. be perfect. Definitely. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I'm going to put a link on my nonprofit. So that's amazing. Good. <laughs> resources. We need resources. Yeah. And there's just so much information. And when people go to my website, they'll get a pop-up that they can just download a free guide to victim rights. And like, just, just, I just want everyone to know that these rights exist. And so it's just kind of leading with education and information so that no matter where anybody is in their case or physically in the country, like they're getting an idea of what they can expect from the criminal justice system. It's, it's pretty similar all around the country. That's, one thing that is a bit similar is criminal justice systems and the victim rights laws that have been passed. So important. Knowledge is power. You need to know your rights. Yeah. You need to know what you can and cannot do, what's available to you. So important because people think there's nothing. I can't tell you how many guests I've had on that are survivors. And not only did they think they were alone, but they didn't think there was any resources out there for them. Mm. That's sad. It's a sad place to be when you think like, this is it. This is all I got. 
Yeah. Well, I'm really grateful for what you're doing, getting getting a site together that has it all together. Because while those resources exist, it's like in trauma brain, how they're going to research it, how they're going to find it. So having it all in one place and, you know, you, um, offering that in a, in a, in one place with links and just making it easy for them to access it and get to what they need is, is going to be really great. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. I want, I want to help. I don't want people's inner light to be snuffed anymore. Like enough of that shit. I'm going to hand you the lighter and we're going to relight it. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) I guess if you didn't have anything else to add. No, fight for your rights. Be strong. Get the healing that you need. Never be afraid to get the healing that you need. Yeah. Yeah. Don't be afraid to speak up for what you know you deserve. What you know you deserve. And it's okay to not be okay. Often the only way through feelings is to feel them and nobody expects, uh, people might try to expect survivors and victims to just like chin up and buck up. But like, I, I don't expect it. Tiffany doesn't expect it. The people who have been where you are do not expect you to just know what to do immediately and be strong, like be vulnerable, be sad, go through it, feel it. And then and then find the resources that'll help carry you through it. You, none of us can do this all on our own. None of us can do this all on our own. And so do not expect yourself to do that. Treat yourself like you would treat your best friend and be there for yourself and, and get the love and support that you need. You know, it's so funny what you just said. Treat yourself like your best friend. We tell our friends the best freaking advice. Like we have a gossip column, okay? Like we will tell you, bop, 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 bop. This is what you got to do. Comes to you and you're like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We're right. supposed, yeah. No, we got to no, know. Exactly right. Exactly right. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much for joining me this week. If any of my episodes resonate with you, would you please make sure that you reach out to me? It's very important that I know the work that I'm doing is actually beneficial. And if you just find good value in these, please make sure that you subscribe, you're rating, and you're reviewing. Share it with your friends, especially if you know somebody could actually use this information in their own life. That's what these are here for. Until next time.